0: I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Uh, Thanks for being here this morning. Um, Glad to have you. Worship team, thank you for leading us uh, as you did. I'm always grateful for them every week and grateful to have you here um, as well. I want to just say a couple of things before I get started uh, with the seven series that we're in. Number one, I want you to know um, that alongside the great send-off, which is a a, pack, a flyer you have in your box. If you don't have a box, we can get you one or get you a flyer. It tells you about what we're doing. Pastor Joel highlighted that earlier. Along with our international stuff, we are still doing this year together, 2014, as we call it, which is a partnership between the organizations in the Peckley Valley community to work together for the common good We're excited to create a together steering committee this year for this event, and put this on your calendar now, if you will. We have June 14th lined up as the Paradise Run, Ride, and Walk version 3, so get yourself going for the 5K, the 2,000-mile bike ride that we're doing, and everything else that's coming in for that. I'm excited to tell you that as I was visiting with the administration at Peckway Valley this past week, um, they kind of on their own brought it up to somebody else, and they said, hey, are you doing the, the 5k this year? Because me and my wife are doing it. Are you doing it? And so it's on their mind, and I just want to keep it on ours as well. So June 14th, there will be an end to the snow, and I believe it will not be here when we have the Paradise Run, Ride, Walk, okay? So I want you to know about that. All right, uh, two other things, two other shameless announcements before I get started. I want you to know where we're going in one month from now, all right? Exactly one month from now. March 9 is going to be a a kind of a big Sunday for us here. Not only do we begin electives, and you'll hear more about that in a little bit, but we also are going to begin kind of two new series at that time. Yes, two new series at that time. One in the morning, and this is our next series coming up March 9. This is called Home Improvement, and I want to tell you about this real briefly. This is going to be a different kind of teaching style um, together, myself, Pastor Joel, and then Chuck Holt, Director of the Factory Ministries, we're teaming up and team teaching this thing called Home Improvement, a six-week uh, series, and we, we're going to make it an interactive kind of environment for you. So a couple weeks ago, we did an elder round table up here where you had the chance to text in your questions or what your comments or snide remarks about the elders, and you all did that. We're going to um, bring that to the Home Improvement series and have some teaching content for you related to your families, your marriages, your relationships, um, talk about some of God's ideals, as well as talk about the reality of the difficult things that we deal with from single parenting to separation, divorce issues, um, and uh, special needs, kids, technology and faith. A lot of things that kind of come around to us as, as family members, uh, parents, kids, um, singles, marrieds, all that. And then we're going to give you a chance to interact with us, kind of in a, almost like a panel-like discussion, texting in questions during that time. So that's one month from now. That's morning time. All right. In the evening, I want you to know that we're doing this thing called Love You in the evening. And it's not like love you, but love you, right? Get it? Uh Thank you. All right. That's good. All right. Love You. Here's essentially what we're doing. We're taking the content that we typically deliver to premarital counseling and, and delivering it publicly for everybody. This is not only for those who are thinking about getting married. This, we believe, is for everybody right now, who is single and thinking, maybe someday I'll get married, or married and thinking, you know what, this is just a great opportunity to to freshen things up, sharpen my marriage, sharpen my relationships. Here's an opportunity for that. We hope that there will be um, a pile of people there who are already married and been married a long time. And I'll tell you why, because we want your wisdom, to be quite honest. We want your input in our evening sessions, around the tables, downstairs in the fellowship hall, As we have times of discussion and dialogue and role play with one another, we want our younger couples to hear from those who are older, those who have been down the road before. And so we want... Everybody who's thought about being married and is married and kind of in that kind of relationship, we'd love to have you here and be a part of Love You, a six week deal beginning again March 9. Now, to help you out with that, make things easy, we've created a little postcard that you'll see on the Welcome Center on your way out. This little thing has both of those. And if you would like to take one of these, two of these, 10 of these, 50 of these, and put them in your place of business, place of work, in your neighborhood, Uh, bother your neighbors by putting them in their mailbox. Whatever you want to do with those, all right? Those are there for you to kind of communicate what's happening at GPC one month from now on March 9th. Home improvement and love you, all right? Commercial over. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Thank you for being here this morning uh, and joining us. We are in the seven series, part four of seven on the seven If you've been with us, you know that we're covering the seven deadly sins, and um, we are now uh, on number four of the seven deadly sins. This one you probably won't fall asleep on, by the way. Um, I'll explain why in a minute. And our our rationale for this is we said from the beginning that we were kind of made, and I use this uh, image up here, we were kind of made for creation, okay? We were made in this space perfectly by God at the beginning of, of time. And yet we've fallen into sin, and our experience now is living down here in the muck and the mire, but that we're made for something more. And I'm contending that you're longing for more in your relationships, and your relationship with your spouse, or relationship with your friends, or even your relationship with yourself in terms of your own aspirations, your own dreams, your own drive, what drives you and gets you excited and makes you want more out of your own self, I believe... Part of that comes back to this desire to be more than we are here and kind of pulls us back to the ideal of how we were made. And then into our worlds comes the reality of sin, and sin kind of keeps us down here where we just kind of relate to one another almost in shadows sometimes, where I don't allow you to see the real me and you don't allow me to see the real you, just kind of a part of you and just a part of me, and you'll just maybe see a passing, a shadow. And I'll give you an image of kind of what I want you to think about me, and then we're going to have. A relationship that may be, um, you know, a little superficial, let's say, that we've made the case, I've tried to make the case, that sin comes in, kind of lands in humanity, and kind of pushes us apart from the relationships that we should have together with one another and with God. And so the seven series is meant not only to kind of raise the issue of what are the sins that are among us, but the reality of saying, I want to push into what does it look like for us um, To be a people who are about confession, confession, who will at least have one relationship, one meaningful relationship where I can confess. And confession is a part of the normal part of our conversation with somebody. That I can at least move toward having one person, at least, that I can do that with. The idea being that I can get through some of the things that I'm getting through, that I can begin to relate to God and one another better. Okay? So this is where we've been. Now, today, On the fourth deadly sin, again, these are not in the Bible per se. They're all in the Bible, but there's no verse that says here are the seven deadly sins. But they cover a broad swath. The seven deadly sins were created by, we believe, Gregory the Great in the 6th century and kind of cover a broad swath of stuff. So today's seven deadly sin is this. Lust. All right, lust. Now, now that you're awake, all right, lust can be... A broad definition saying that, you know, anything that you long for or you want that you don't have, you know, a longing for something that you don't have. But I'm not going to use it in that way because I think that fits in the category of envy. I think it fits in the category of greed um, or, or pride. But I think what we're dealing with, with lust in particular, and where I'm going this morning in particular really is this, that lust is this, I'm going to define it this way, this craving and unhealthy sexual gratification. that's my angle, that's my lens this morning, this craving of an unhealthy sexual gratification, that I'm going after something that I think that I probably shouldn't have. Now, I want to say this. I have a couple of particular audiences in mind this morning as I'm speaking. Um, There are some of you who have yet to experience uh, the draw of lust. You're too young or you're not alive anymore. That's about it, All right? Okay, so there are some of you who have yet to experience this the draw of lust, this pull, this craving, and, and for you, I want you to understand. I want to give you information this morning. I want you to understand some things. I also want to say to everybody, this is safe for the whole family this morning, okay? just want you to, to be at ease this morning with that. But there's some information perhaps you might need. There's another audience, and that is, that is some of you right now who are, who are fully... Fighting with lust yourself and who don't want any of us to know about it, but you're in it. And you wish that you could be out of it, but you're in it. And it keeps coming round and round and round to you sometimes every week, sometimes every month, sometimes every day, sometimes a couple times a day. It just keeps coming around to you and you wish you could get out of it, but you don't know how and you're kind of stuck. And what do you do? And I want to tell you this morning that I believe there is help, but I don't think you need more information but there is help. It's kind of like someone who's addicted to smoking and wants to stop. They don't need to have someone hold up a cigarette, um, what do they call it, a carton? I don't know, but next to them and say, look, there's a warning on the back from the Surgeon General, you might die. (laughs) No one ever showed that to me before. I mean, no one ever does that, right? You don't need more information to stop addictions. We need help and support along the way, okay? So some of you are there, and I hope this morning to offer you some help and support along the way to keep walking through this. Some of you are parents, um, and you want your kids really to get it in regard to sexual temptation and the craving that that is, and I hope this morning that you may hear some things and you're like, yeah. If you're a kid and you're under your parents' care, you may think, that sounds like mom and dad talking. Maybe they're smarter than you realize. (laughs) Or maybe I'm dumber than you think. Yeah, okay, we're not going to go there this morning, all right? But my audience is in there, all right? That there are some of you who have yet to really experience this. I want to give you some info. There's some who are in it, and I want you to know that there's help available. And there's some who are just kind of on the edge of dealing with this, who are kind of trying to figure out should I or shouldn't I, and you know, what's right to do and all that, and we kind of want to deal with that. So I want to provide both information and help and support for you. That's kind of my aim. Now, I want to tell you about it real quick. Um, A guy by the name of Simon um, Blackburn, he wrote this, and I I like the way he put it, so I'm going to tell it to you. He wrote about lust, and he said it this way. It's the fly in the ointment, the black sheep of the family, the ill-bred, trashy cousin of upstanding members like love and friendship. It lives on the wrong side of the tracks, lumbers around, elbowing its way into too much of our lives, and blushes when it comes into company. Some people... Like things a little on the trashy side, but not most of us, most of the time. We smile at lovers holding hands in the park, but we wrinkle our noses if we find them acting out their lust under the bushes. Love receives the world's applause. Lust is furtive, ashamed, embarrassed. Love pursues the good of the other with self-control, concern, reason, and patience. Lust pursues its own gratification, headlong, impatient of any control, immune, to reason love thrives on candlelight conversation lust is equally happy in a doorway or a taxi and its conversation is made up of animal grunts and cries love is individual there's only the unique other the one doted upon the single star around whom the lover revolves lust takes what comes Lovers gaze into each other's eyes. Lust looks sideways, inventing deceits and stratagems and seductions, si- sizing up opportunities. Love grows with knowledge and time. Courtship, truth, and trust. Lust is a trail of clothing in the hallway, the collision of two football packs. Love lasts. Lust sickens. Then he finishes with this statement. Living with lust... It's like living shackled to a lunatic. Living with lust is like living shackled to a lunatic. It's crazy. It's wild. It's powerful. You can't get away from it. And it's got you. You don't have it. It's got you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? This morning I want to tell you some things I think are true. And then I want to walk through a passage of Scripture that I think bears us out. And this is simply several points that are, that are true, I believe. Number one, God made us, all right? God made us. And here's what I mean by that. Your body, the way you are made, male and female, not a surprise to God. He sculpted you, created man and woman. He's not embarrassed, ashamed, or anything like that. About how you are made and what He has made in you to experience the beauty of sexual gratification is from God. you think Satan created this desire for sexual gratification? You think God was like, "Whoa. Ho, ho, ho. Why do they want to do that? Like whoa 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 whoa. I didn't know that would do that. I mean no, no, no. okay, so here's the beginning, foundationally, God started this whole deal there's everything right holy and good and pure about how god has made us okay that's my beginning point it's reality god has started this he's not embarrassed about it no one just kind of did that when he wasn't looking this is from god okay number two sexual desire can be stronger than any other human force Now, you may or may not believe that. You can rest with me on that one if you want to. But here's why I say that. Sexual desire, when given energy, okay, when given context, can be stronger than any other human force. Think about how humans are sometimes um, understood in terms of having intellect, emotion, and will, okay? Sometimes we say people, oh, I know you're a human being because you can think, you can feel, and you can kind of decide what you want to do when that locomotive of sexual passion gets going, there is no intellect in the world that will stop it, is there? Oh, you know, let I, I me mean, just think about this for a minute. I shouldn't do this. Like, I'm going down the wrong path. No, 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 no. If you stand intellect in front of a, a the sexual passion locomotive and say, no, no, I shouldn't do this. I'm telling you, and you know this, that is not a barricade that will stop that locomotive. No, I shouldn't do this. Are you kidding me? It feels too good right now. Put emotion in there. This, this feels like it might be wrong. I might be going against what my parents want. Maybe God doesn't want me to do this. I don't know, but it just feels so good. Emotion doesn't stop that thing from going. Take take will like, ah. Uh, you know, I think it's better for me not to do this. I should make a decision not to do this. Oh, but man, in the moment, in the moment, you can't do that. It just is so strong. I'm telling you, and you've experienced this probably. Or you know people who have, right, if you don't want to admit that. That sexual passion, when given that fuel and that urge, there is, nothing, uh, there is nothing within us, intellect, emotion, will, that is guaranteed to stop this locomotive at that point. I mean, it is going. It is such a strong motivation, such a strong driver, that we do things that make no sense in our normal and right minds. We do things that violate our own values and behavior, things that we would tell somebody else are wrong. You shouldn't do that. Well, didn't you? Yeah, but I wasn't thinking. Oh, but you did. Yeah. Why? Why? I don't know. Because it's stronger than anything else that we have, I believe, in that, in that moment. Okay. Number three, little things lead to big things. In other words, rarely, rarely, rarely do you have a big thing, a okay, big moment here, a big, big moment of lustful uh, satisfaction where it wasn't preceded by little decisions along the way that got you there. Okay? I'm going to talk about that more, but basically, if you imagine um, an invitation to a party, all right, you get invited to a party, let's say you're in junior high, high school, college, young adult area, whatever it is, and you think, you know, I don't know, the people who are throwing that party, I don't know about the scene, I kind of know about them and kind of what happens there, and I, I, I don't know, but, you know, I think there's going to be some order to it, and hey, my friends from church are going, okay, I'll, I'll go. And you get there, and things start getting a little out of hand a little quickly. Maybe some alcohol is flowing, maybe some people are kind of hooking up in ways you didn't think they would and and like whoa this is this night is a little bit different but there's still room here for me because if I leave now I don't want to make them think that I'm not their friends anymore and I'm driving if I leave then I'm gonna have to take them with me and then the night continues to kind of fall apart and you're making little decisions along the way I should go was there anything wrong with going probably not Is there anything wrong with staying maybe And then all of a sudden, by the time the night finishes up, you're like, how did I get there with him? How did I get there with her? I can't even remember what we did. What was I drinking? I mean, little decisions that lead to big ones. There's rarely a time when a big decision just gets dropped in front of you. If it was, you'd say, no, I wouldn't do that. But it's the little things that lead to big things, okay? Number four. Our greatest regrets tend to be sexual. This is just, I think, reality. There's something about our bodies that remember a sexual experience more than anything else. Our greatest regrets tend to be that. If you ask most adults, this is what they'll say some of their greatest regrets would be. Number five, sex is not just physical. Okay, uh, We'll talk about that more in a minute. But basically, sex is not just physical. Let me illustrate it this way. If we were, um, were to read in the paper that someone punched someone in the face, okay, that's an assault, and our legal system would you know, punish them for that. Punch in the face. Physical pretty much only physical, but you read about a rapist, whoa, whoa, different category, different category, but it's, it's just physical, you know, it just, isn't sex just physical? No, 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 even our judicial system understands there is a categorical difference when it comes to the body and sexual activity, it's a categorical difference, not just an assault, this is different, this is punished different, this is not just physical not just physical. This wraps up the entire person. Therefore, this is why our greatest regrets tend to be the sexual regrets that we have, the memories that are created, the bond that is created here that it's not created with anything else. And finally, here, there's help, but you may not like it. I just want to tell you right now. There's help, but you're probably not going to like it. And by the time I get to the end of this thing to offer you help, you're going to probably say, seriously? Like, that's it? Yes, I just want to tell you now. Prepare to be disappointed with the simplicity of what I have to offer you. But I still think it's worth it. All right? So here are some basic things. Now, if you have your Bible with you, I'm wanting to take you to a passage that's actually going to outline almost all of these things for us. Um, The Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, wrote a letter to a church in a city called Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we're going to land. He was writing to this church and they were having problems with sexual activity within their church. The previous chapter outlined some things that are um, rather disgusting and and, uh, you know, kind of beyond what we would typically talk about in church, but they're happening within the context of the church in Corinth. And so Paul is writing to the church that's dealing with this reality. And in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 to 20, is where we're going to land. If you don't own a Bible, not a problem. There's one around you, and the few around you, grab a red book there, red Bible, and uh, flip over to the New Testament, kind of the right quarter of your Bible, and you'll find 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul is writing here, all right? So here we go, verse 12. Uh, He says this, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. All right, now we're going to go verse by verse here probably. So pause it there for a minute. Um, One time I was reading Mark Driscoll, pastor at Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington. He made the comment, um, he was speaking primarily about young men who... We're still living at home um, when they should be out on their own. And he said, you know, men, young men who, who live at home when they should be uh, out on their own and, and um, you know, wear their pajamas all day and play video games in their mom's basement, okay? Um, those men, he said, um, they'll say hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And I'll say, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just dumb, you know? Like, eating a lawnmower, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just dumb, you know? I mean, why would you do that, you know? And so this is kind of the same thing. Like, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, okay? It's permissible to do that if you want to, but come on now. Does it work? Does it help? No, it doesn't help. Like, sell the Xbox, sell the game system, get a job, you know, get out of your PJs. Okay, that's kind of the way he's, he's talking about that. And the same thing here when it comes to our sexual context. Like everything is, is permissible, but not everything is beneficial not everything is beneficial in other words the little things lead to the big things okay is it permissible to go to the party probably was it immoral for you to go to a party probably not but what did that lead to now this is where you're going to think this sounds like my parents yes it does because your parents might actually know something all right it's permissible sure but is it beneficial And then does it make you a slave to it? Aquinas, an early church historian and church father, if you want to call him that, would say that lust is actually a sin of weakness, not a sin of malice. In other words, my lust is, never, is rarely born out of a desire to hurt somebody, but it's born out of a weakness of my will and a weakness of my planning to kind of get through it and get over it. And this is the way lust is. It's permissible. That's fine. I'll make a little decision, a little decision, a little decision, a little decision. All of a sudden, how did I get with him, with her? I didn't mean to see that, but I did, and now I want to see it again. And I didn't mean to go there, but I did, and everything's permissible. But is it beneficial? Is it beneficial? All right. Paul continues. He says in verse 13, Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. Okay. Uh, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. All right. Now, if if you've been in church at all or you even have heard about church, you already know the church is against lust. Okay. I mean, that's not news to you. In fact, many of you here 's the news um, for many of you, you just kind of think God is against sexual gratification. You may not have used those terms, but it 's like yeah, I mean if you 're going to be in church and you 're going to be someone who follows god you 've got to be really conservative and you know the joy and satisfaction that comes from that no no no, you can 't find that in in church and you can't god doesn 't want you to to do that god 's a prude. <laughs> That's kind of what I think about God, right? I mean, that's kind of where the church's standard is, right? And I want you to look at the verse. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual, and what's the next word? Right, for sexual immorality, right? But for the Lord. What most of us think is we think God has said, the body is not meant for sex, but for God. It's not what the text says. The body was not meant for sexual immorality. There's a a massive difference. In other words, God made us. God made men and women. Okay? That's reality. And he created us to experience oneness together in joyful, full-on sexual union with great pleasure and satisfaction. But he didn't create us for sexual, and there's our word, immorality. And so what we're often accused of in the church is saying, you know, man, the church is against having fun and having sexual freedom and sexual exploration and all that. No, no, no. We're just against ruining your life. Like we just think it's a bad idea to throw your life away. That's what we're against. Here's what we're for we're for the fullness of life that God came to offer to you. So what does that mean? That means that one of the things you gotta think about is it is it wise? Is it beneficial? for me to go down this road. It might be permissible, sure, but is it beneficial? Is it beneficial? All right, he continues here in verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute, is one with her in body. For it is said the two will become one flesh, but he unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Okay, again, what Paul is saying is here, is that this uniting of sexual union is not just, it is not just physical, okay? It is not just a physical act, and any of you who've experienced that know it is not just physical. It never was, it never will be. It is a uniting of people, it's like the cement that brings together a relationship, which is why some of you, for your greatest regret is when you have gone too far in a relationship and you have cemented things in a relationship that weren't meant to be cemented yet. And then you, here's our word, broke up. And it feels like a break. Boom. Why? Because you've cemented a relationship that wasn't ready for that cementing yet. You brought together an emotional, relational, spiritual component that wasn't ready yet for that. And then you break up whether that's a dating relationship or a marriage or whatever, and then, oh, it's hard. It's hard to recover from that. It's just difficult because sex is not just physical. It, it is that, that cement that brings relationships together. And here's the thing. Even if you don't believe in the Bible, okay, even if you don't believe in God or whatever, even if you use science as your only measure of what is true and right in the world, I mean, studies alone, even those uh, people who would be uh, not confessing to believers will will tell you. The people who register the highest level of sexual satisfaction are those in monogamous marriages. Healthy marriages. Not those who are living a, quote-unquote, promiscuous lifestyle. Not those who are going around trying to have sex with whoever they can. Or experiencing it outside of that relationship so even if you don't think that god's ideas are right it just is a question of come on now what what's beneficial and we happen to think god made us created us built us put us together in a way to experience a kind of unity in marriage that provides us with the kind of satisfaction that we want okay now verse 18 flee from sexual immorality All other sins are committed that a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Just notice that. what's the first word of verse 18? Flee. Do you know that Paul, when he was writing in Ephesians 6 uh, about spiritual warfare, which happens to be a pretty significant reality, he talks about... um, what believers should do in response to spiritual warfare. And there he uses a different verb to describe what a believer should do. And some of you may know that verb there, but in, in Ephesians 6, when you're facing the devil, all right, when you're facing his, um, his plans and his ideas, Paul's commendation to you is stand. Stand firm. Stand your ground. And then he tells you what to put on, kind of what to wear, if you will, in the fight against spiritual warfare. Now, the context of sexual temptation, run away. Fast. Go. Get out of there. Don't stand around. Don't hang around. Don't do, don't mess around. Get out of there. Why? Because sexual desire can be stronger than any other human force. It can just take over your intellect, your emotion, your will. Things that you thought were a good idea before you started feeling that way all of a sudden don't seem like a good idea because this feels good and right to keep this going. This is why in the Song of Solomon, this is why the the young ladies, the young women who are there who are encouraged by the older woman who's about to get married, she says this, ladies, do not, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And what does that mean? In other words do not start that sexual drive going too early because you will not be able to stop it. Do not do that. In other words, flee from this. The question we often have is, Man, how far can I go? How far can I go in a relationship? I mean, how far can I go? As long as I don't have full-on sex, I guess we're fine. I guess we're fine. Right. That works really well. That's a good plan. It's a great plan. There's no way in the world that you can stop that. If that's your plan, you're in a world of trouble right now. You're in a world of trouble. You cannot stop that locomotive once it has started. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Flee from sexual immorality. He's going to give us even more accommodation here in verse 19 into 20. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You're bought at a price. And therefore, honor God with your body. All right? So, Ownership gives privilege. Our bodies are not our own. God owns our bodies, and we have this opportunity, obligation, if you will, to respond to him. Honor God with your body. The question, instead of asking, how far can I go up to the edge all right, without falling into it? How far can I go? You know, how, how long can we kiss or whatever? How far can I go until I go over the edge? The question instead is, how far can I go in honoring God with my body? How far can I go with honoring him with my body? What does it look like for me not to push the edge of this thing and to risk falling off this cliff, but how far can I go in honoring him? What does it look like in this relationship to honor? We hear the question all the time, how far can I go? We rarely hear the question, man, I want to honor God in this relationship. What does it look like for me to honor him in all that that I do here? Let me ask you, when we think about about lust and kind of that desire, that drive for gratification, um, we often feel like what kills that sexual satisfaction that we want, what kills it is restraint. Because it feels like what I really want to get after, I can't have, and I have to shut it down, shut it down. What feels right is in the moment to get the sexual satisfaction is to go into lust and just give in to get that. But here's what we know. The reality is that the real pleasure killer is not resistance, but is giving in. The real thing that kills your pleasure is not resisting, but giving in to lust. How many of you have ever said, I wish I, you don't have to raise your hand or don't raise your friend's hand, have ever said, I wish I wouldn't have done that. You know, I, I wish I could have that time back. But how many of you have ever said, I wish I would have, but I didn't. I wish I would have gone farther with him, but I didn't. I wish I would have gone farther with her, but I didn't. See, pleasure comes not from giving in to lust and kind of finding our own way. Pleasure comes from the resistance and saying, I'm going to wait and do this right. While things may be permissible, they're beneficial. So, let me say this. What to do. What to do. And this is where you're like, okay, I'm about to give you something, and you're going to say, is this it? And I'm going to say, this is it. Because for some of you, uh, dealing with lust, um, like I said, when you're in it, you don't need more information. Just like the person who's trying to break out of the smoking habit doesn't need to be pointed to the Surgeon General's warning on the back. Like, we know that, all right? And you've come in here, if you're already wrestling with this and you're fighting through this, you already know that this is a bad idea. It's just that you can't stop. Again, because it's a stronger force than just about anything else that you have, okay? So you already know that. So what I've said today has probably only made you more guilty, made you feel more shame and a heavier weight than when you walked in, which is not exactly what I'm aiming for. Some of you have yet to really go there and are not really in there. And for those of you who are still in the dating world or kind of pre-dating, I want you to understand What happens when we go there? Not only the danger, but the, the pain, the destruction that this causes. Because God has made us to love and stay with people. And when we get involved sexually in places we shouldn't, we are training our bodies and our minds to love and leave rather than to love and stay. And that's what happens over and over and over again. So we want to train our bodies and our minds right to love and stay in the right way. So I'm going to give you something and tell you this, and you're going to be like, "Is that it? Yeah, that it." So for for those of you who don't, who need information, you've got some this morning. Those of you who are in it, so far you're probably thinking, "Yep, I've heard a lot of that. Yep, makes sense. Yep." But now, what do I do? Now, here's the thing with lust. Um, It's so private, isn't it? It's so private. And today, especially, with the ease of access to all things, it's so easy and so private, isn't it? So it's really kind of simple. But lust grows in the dark, doesn't it? Lust grows when no one else knows about it. And here's what you're probably telling yourself in terms of how to get over it I'm just going to try harder. How's that worked? I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to get over that. I'm going to deal with that. It doesn't work. You know that. It doesn't work. So Here's what I want to say. Because lust thrives in private, we need to make it public. It's really simple. Because lust thrives in private, we need to make it public. Lust thrives when no one else knows. You're safe when no one else knows. You're just dealing with your own heart and your own mind, and that's okay. You're, you're right. You're not, quote unquote, hurting anybody else, right? Just like David didn't hurt anybody else when he lusted after Bathsheba, right? Except for, you know, he had to kill the husband. That was a slight deviation there. And then, you know, the son died and his kingdom fell apart. But other than that, it was really kind of pain free. Right? Who does it hurt? It hurts a lot of people. Here's what I mean by public. Okay? We think about confession. One of the principles of confession that we talked about is we confess small things to big groups and big things to small groups. And you already, you already kind of know this intuitively. But we confess small things to big groups and big things to small groups. By public, I do not mean, hey, let, let me roll it out on Facebook. I think you already know that's a bad idea. The question is, if this is a big thing, and, and lust in our in our culture usually is. And <laughs> what an irony, by the way, our, our culture is. It offers to us. Um, it's almost like a, it offers to us sexual temptations constantly, and then beats us up for taking it. Right? It's almost like someone sits you down at lunch and brings a dessert out—a beautiful, rich delectable piece of chocolate cake cut just right with a load of icing if you like icing slides it right next to your your dinner there says hey just wait we just wanted you to know this is what's for dessert but here it is you just can't help it you take a bite I'm like what are you doing taking a bite of that cake it's not time to take a bite of that cake yet and they they, they beat you up for doing that. And you're like, well, don't put it in front of me, all right? I mean, th- what do you think I'm going to do, all right? And this is what our culture does, right? Puts it right in front of us. says, here it is. I mean, look at this. Look at this beautiful woman. Come on. Look at this beautiful man. Come on. Come on. Let's post this stuff on Instagram. Come on. Let's put it on Facebook. Come on. Let's see it on the, the advertisements on TV. Come on now. I mean, you're surfing the web, and man, how did I get there? I don't know, but it's there, and wow. Okay, there's a the dessert. Then you take a bite, and they kill you for it. You're like, well, yeah, come on now. Give me a break. You put it right there. But I'm still responsible, right? So I need to make it, to make it public, but I don't need to make it public to everybody. But I need to make it public to at least somebody. Because lust thrives in private. I need to, and I, I need to make it public. I need to. You need to have at least one other person that you can trust, that you will talk to about this issue. I just don't know how else to get through this. I just don't know how else to get through it. Let me say this. Confession also provides this. It, it gives the gift of, a second, um, of going second. In other words, you, if you haven't experienced this yet, you will. If you get into confession with somebody and you say, listen, I want you to know here's what I'm wrestling with. Most of the time, the person sitting across from the table from you will say, you know what, I want you to know. Here's what I'm wrestling with as well. You have just freed me up to tell you what's on my mind. It's a gift to confess to somebody else. It's a gift. It may not be the same issue, may be something unrelated, maybe something else. But it's a gift. Give the gift of going second to somebody. This takes courage. It takes courage. But we were made for more than this, weren't we? We weren't made to be stuck down here. We were made up here. Lust is like living chained to a lunatic, isn't it? And for those of you who are not there yet, those of you who are still in the dating world, I just want to encourage you again. Do not, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Not only is it worth waiting for, it it is the best life you can have if you wait for this. I'm telling you. Your parents know this. It is the best life you can have if you will wait for the context of marriage, to experience full-on sexual gratification with a partner. It's how God made us to love and stay with one another. And lust says, God, ah, love and leave, love and leave, love and leave. And living with lust is like being chained to a lunatic. Because it grows in private, we've got to make it public. And I just want to encourage you. I just want you to think about this, okay? Those who are stuck in it, those who are stuck in it, you know you already know you're not going to get out by yourself. You would be by now if you could have, and you're not. Let me just encourage you. Who can you talk with? Who can you communicate with? If you got nobody you think fits that bill, I want you to know, we have created a way for you to contact us by us, I mean Pastor Joel and I. There's an email address called "Living in the Light." at gracepointparadise.com. You can email. We get that, and we will follow up with you to to whatever degree you want. Living in the light at gracepointparadise.com. We've got to talk about it. Okay, We've got to talk about it. It will never get better if we don't. And I want the best for you guys. I want the best for you. No matter what stage of life you are in. All right, let me pray with you guys. Father, thanks for the opportunity this morning to get into this text in first corinthians and deal with this issue that hits some of us very deep and that hits all of us because we're a part of a community together we want to love each other well we want to be in relationships with one another that are healthy we want to date well with honor so we can set ourselves up for a marriage with honor and integrity We know that none of us are as good as we present on Sunday morning or even during the week to one another. We just want other people to think we're really doing well and nothing's going on. Father, I pray that you give us courage this morning to deal with this issue where we need to, to confess a big thing to a small group, maybe one other person, maybe two. But we've got to deal with this because it's an uncontrollable force in our own heart if we don't. I pray for those who are in junior high, in high school, or in young adult phase who are still single and thinking about marriage, and who have their purity in front of them. I pray that you would give them the courage to stand against kind of the current that says, hey, just try it, just push up against the edge and see how far you can go. Give them the courage as young men and young women to, to, to live that line committed to honoring God with their bodies, that they can experience life the way it was meant, when you made us to love one another well in the context of marriage. Give them the courage, the wisdom and the vision and the friends to surround them, to encourage that purity that doesn't push them to the limit of how far they can go, but pushes them to the limit of how far can I honor God with my body. Father, we love you. We want to honor you with all that we have. Give us the grace that we need. As we deal with this issue, for some it's shame, for some it's guilt, we understand that. We're in this together to give us the grace to cover the things where we fail. Give us the courage to talk to one another because we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.